Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. In our culture, sometimes the, the best people to do a certain thing are people that got brought out of something. Um, if someone was wrapped up in drugs and alcohol and they get brought out, they may be a great candidate to minister to people that are currently struggling with that. Uh, as they have come out, I know what it was to be in bondage. I know what it was to be handcuffed to that, but I also know how that the Lord can deliver. And their life is a, as a testimony of the, the deliverance and the freedom that can come through God. And they're able to pull other people into victory and into, in, into winning with them. In today's message, Pastor Bill will remind you that some of the people who do great things for God have the best stories to tell of Christ's redemption in their lives. Imagine for a moment that someone who has a history of drunkenness wants to discuss with someone in the church and seek help. Who would be the best person to talk with them about that? The person who has never had any alcohol or the person who overcame their drunkenness through Jesus? God brings the right people to us. Now here's Pastor Bill in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Were you guys that were with us last week as we covered the first half of 2 Corinthians chapter 5? Paul was, um, and some of what Paul was doing was letting us know where the motivation came for the way that he served and what he did. And so as we came to the end of our study last week, we talked about something called the, the, the judgment seat or the, the Bema seat judgment. And we learned that for believers, right, we, we're, we won't be judged for our sins uh, the sins of the Christians are where? Where are our sins? They've been paid for on the cross. They're washed away in the blood of Christ. In essence, they're non-existent. There's nothing between the believer and God anymore. Our sins are washed away. And uh, we could all say amen and thank God for that. Amen? amen? That's our predicament, right? We're in a great position and condition because of what Jesus has done. He took dirty people, bad people, selfish people, sinful people, and he cleaned us. I didn't clean myself. You didn't clean yourself. We won't go to heaven because we're we were holy enough or good enough. But God washed us and cleansed us. And he did that for us now. So for the believer, if we go to the judgment seat of Christ or the Bema seat, it's a judgment has to do with how we serve the Lord there. There's the potential to serve God in a way that God would reward. And there's things that we could do if our motives are right, if our hearts right. We can serve God in a way that God said, I will, that, that will be rewarded in eternity, that right there. I could also, we talked about it last week, I could also serve in a way where God, knowing our hearts and knowing our motives, would say that that's not rewardable. And so when you look at the Bema Seat Judgment in another place, it talks about those things will be tried in the fire. And some things will be wood, hay, and stubble. What does wood, hay, and stubble do in the fire? It burns up. So some of our works, maybe we did the right thing with the wrong motive. Maybe you did a really good thing. So that somebody can see you do a really good thing and be like, he's so spiritual, you know, so God would see your motive and that would be wood, hay and stubble. But maybe also you've done things in, in a pure heart with a pure motive that God would reward. That's what the Bema Seat Judgment is. Some liken it to the um, the Greek Olympics, like, like our Olympics, when the winners win, they come to the they, they come to the stands and then they're told when to stand up. So the person with bronze. They stand up on this one. The person with silver stands up on that one. The person with gold stands up on the highest one and they receive their reward. It's, it's that sort of thing. Everybody here is going to be rewarded. The judgment is to see what your reward is. So for the believer, that's I mean, I, I hope that's encouraging to you. Like our judgment is going to be what's your reward going to be. 
No sin, no, no, I'm not in trouble anymore. God's not going to get, my sins are washed away. So that's our situation. So as we continue in this chapter, and as we come to the end, Paul's going to talk about reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation and how that that's all of our ministry. Um, I just thought it was important that what God did with Paul was took someone that had been through the process and said, now I want you to go back and do it. Now, I, I think of how many times in our culture, Sometimes the, the best people to do a certain thing are people that got brought out of something. Um, if someone was wrapped up in drugs and alcohol and they get brought out, they may be a great candidate to minister to people that are currently struggling with that. Uh, as they have come out, I know what it was to be in bondage. I know what it was to be handcuffed to that, but I also know how that the Lord can deliver. And their life is a, as a testimony of the, the, the deliverance and the freedom that can come through God. And they're able to pull other people into victory and into, in, into winning with them. Um, in our in our in our you know justice system, sometimes they'll take people that were really good at certain crimes, um, but now they're you know they'll take them like some some computer crimes are so elaborate that they have to, the the cops have to actually go to these guys. Some of these guys get paid while they're in jail. They're like, if if you'll come and work for us, then we'll pay you for the information for what you did, so we can figure out how other people are doing it and. Uh, in that sense, they're uniquely qualified. Was well, believers, people that used to be lost, were uniquely qualified to reach out to other lost people. Um, and so we want to take that on. This is what happens. This is what I want to warn us of up front. Something that I see happen, something I think the enemy is really good at is Satan will take or the enemy or sometimes our own flesh. Take a person that you got snatched out of whatever you used to be in. Right. Whatever your sins used to be, God snatch you out, wash you in the blood of Christ, clean you give you the Holy Spirit, start to transform you from the inside out. And as time goes by, your life looks totally different. No longer doing the things you used to do, no longer fornicating, getting drunk or high. And, and, and what can happen if you're not mindful of how you got there, you can start to look at yourself like, I'm brand new, you know, I'm a good person. And you can start looking at people that are what you were and looking down on them. And sometimes what I see happen in the body of Christ is that those that have what they need, despise them, right? There's some, there's some factions of the church and Christians where Christians, some people, they, they're Christians supposedly, but they seem so disgusted with a certain behavior, a certain type of sin that they could never really be a witness to them. How could you reach out, right? If, if I'm disgusted at whatever your sin is, how could I reach out to you in the love of Christ? You disgust me. Like my my disdain and disgust for your sin is going to it's going to shine through. I really can't be a, a witness or a light. That's something we all have to be careful of. Right. I'm not supposed to represent me. Who do I represent? Christ. How does he feel about that sinner? He loves him. Die for him. I got to be able to represent that. God hates the sin, but he loves that sinner. And I got to be careful that that doesn't get misconstrued. And so we'll talk about that as we move on. So. As we ended last week, uh, Paul was was sharing how that, you know, he, he, you know, there's the Bema Sea judgment. And the last thing he said was knowing the terror of the Lord, like knowing knowing the judgment that comes through God. He says we persuade men. And what we're going to see in this section, this last part is Paul gives three motivations for how he serves. One of them he gave us last week in verse 11. He says, knowing the terror of the Lord, like even though I'm not under the judgment of God, I still fear the Lord and knowing the terror of God. For those that don't know him, we persuade men. We continue to reach out to people because they don't know and we do. and We reach out to them. And that would be one. And there's two more as we continue. So look at verse 12 with me. 
Now Paul says, he says, um, for we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. Something that was happening and, and, and you'll see in the beginning here, Paul is having to um, kind of argue that, you know, Paul was always being accused of stuff. And so, you know, Paul's talking about all that he's done and what he's gone through and the attitude from some of the religious people that were, Paul, if you were really an apostle, this, these things wouldn't be happening. Like all these bad things wouldn't happen if you were really an apostle. But don't we know better than that? Don't we know that it's almost a guarantee that if you walk with God and live for God, that you're going to endure difficulty? Um, that's those, those, those unprecious promises in Scripture. Second Timothy 3.12, all that desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's a guarantee. Jesus said, look, they hated me. What did he say to his disciples? They're going to hate you. They hated me. And if you represent me, they're going to hate you. Since it's, a, you know, it's, it's, it's playoff time in football and whatnot, um, there are some people that are little, little, little over the top into their sports. Um, there are guys out there fighting. You know, they're fighting. You wear the wrong jersey and it, they, they are like they gangbang, they, they team or whatever. So that's foolishness. But, but because of that, right, if, if there's a group of people that are, that are strongly, you know, this is my team. I had a guy, used to be a pastor out here, a friend of mine that moved to Utah. Um, so because he was from out here, like we are, most people out here, were Lakers fans, most, not all, <laughs> put your stones away. So he went out there as a Lakers fan, and finally the Lakers were going to play Utah. So he thought, I'm going to go to the, the Lakers-Utah game, and he wore his Laker gear. He called me from his car. He got chased out of, he, I mean, he got chased out of the place by, he said, they, they, like, they were wanting to fight. Like, he got chased to the car from the game. He was like, it was like game warfare, you know. He I just was cheering. We didn't even win, you know. So, um we want to be careful. Right? We represent the Lord. We want to represent him well. And again, we live in an atmosphere right now where, um, like Paul, they were they were accusing Paul of, of man, if God was really with you, these things wouldn't be the case. You wouldn't be going through these things. And Paul says, look, uh, what he said in verse 12, I'm not commending ourselves to you, um, but we're, we're giving you an opportunity to boast. We're sharing what we're doing that you might be proud of us, that you might boast, that you might be able to look and say, hey, look what God's doing through Paul, that you could boast on our behalf, not not in arrogance, but we share in this together. We're, we're in this together. And then he says this, because they were allowing people in that were good with the show, but they didn't really have a heart for the Lord. That, that They did a lot of external ministry stuff. And so Paul said um, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance, but not in heart. And there are people that boasted. I mean, they, they could put on a good front. But Paul says, where's the, where's the service though? Where's the heart? Like, what are they doing, right? They're just, it's just a good show. Paul said, I, I, I want to I show you that our hearts is involved in this. We're, we're, we're all the way into this. And so look at verse 13 now. He says, for if we are beside ourselves, that was another accusation that he was crazy. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. Something that they were accusing Paul of, Paul, you're insane. You're, that's what it, beside yourself means you're insane. You're out of your mind. And that's what it could look like. Right. You look at Paul and Paul is he's going to jail for serving. He's getting beat up. He got stoned over here. He, he's going through a lot of difficulties. And they're like, Paul, you're insane. You're crazy. And, you know, that seems like, man, what, was he crazy? You know, was 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 Paul a little off his rocker? But it's an interesting thing. It, it, it kind of puts Paul in good company because they accuse Jesus of the same thing. Uh, if you're writing notes, write down Mark 3.21. 
and John 10, 20. In both of those places, Jesus was accused by other people of being beside himself, being out of his mind. And in and, and, and Mark 3, 21, it says, but when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him for they said he is out of his mind. They said that about Jesus. In John 10, 20, it says and many of them said he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? They said, Jesus, he got a de demon possessed and he's crazy. Why are you listening to him? So Paul, in a sense, in good company, they're like, Paul, you crazy. You have to be crazy to be doing what you're doing. And here's the deal. If you live for God the way God calls you to live for him in front of people that don't know him, they might think you have to be crazy. Why would you why would you give all your time like that? Why would you be over there all the time like that? Why don't you, you know, do some stuff for you? Why don't you? There are people that don't understand that would look from the outside and they'll say, you're crazy. So I got to be careful not to listen to that talk. Right. That I'm 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 receiving it from the from the word and from the Lord. And so um, that was an accusation against Paul. Now, look at verse 14. This is the second real motivation for Paul and and the way he served God. He said, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. So the, the, the second reason why the second motivator for why Paul served the way he did, he says, for the love of Christ compels us. And this is important, right? It, it isn't Paul's love for God, right? When, it's, when we say the love of Christ compels us, it's not our love for God because it's we don't even love God first. He loved us first, right? It's Paul saying it's God's love for me. That compels me. When I look at how much he loves me, when I look at what God has done for me, that compels me. That's why I'm willing to serve. How do we know? How, how do we know that God loves us, you guys? Like, what's, what's the, what would we point to to say, I, I know God loves me because what? He Jesus died on the cross for Boom, all right? Here's the cool thing with Jesus. He, Brother Bobby said, because Jesus died on the cross for Jesus never says in an empty way, like some crummy boyfriend, girl, I love you, you know, and then there's no action to follow it up. Jesus says, Every time God tries to tell you he loves you, it's always proving it with the action. John 3, 16, that we, we all know by heart, right? For God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only begotten son. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God, I'm showing you how I love you. I'm not just telling you, these are empty words. And when Paul says it's the love of Christ that constrains me, that compels me, Paul says, man, when I look at the cross, and what he's done for me, that compels me. I, I would serve him like that because of what he's done for me. And here's a great thing, right? If that's my motive for, for living for God and serving God, if I'm looking at the cross and what God has done for me, I'll always have a pure motive and I'll never run out of motive. What, the cross will never lose juice in my life. I'm, I'm still today. I mean, I got saved in 1995. So that's 22, 22 years ago. Something like that. Somebody smart. Do the math. It was a while ago. That's when I got saved. Right. It, it was significant then. Twenty one. All right. It's no less significant now. Right. It's, it's more. I, I understand it better now. So it's still a, it's still a solid motive to be living for the Lord. And if I live 40 more years in God, it'll it'll still be a solid motive like that motive, that's that's why I'm saved. That's why I'm in relationship. That's why I'm not going to hell. That's why I'm going to heaven. So when Paul says, look, the love of Christ compels me, it's the only right motive. Here's the thing. If you if you're in ministry, you serve God or you do things for God with another motive. Um, let's say your motive is I, I just do this because I really love people. It's not a good motive. You know why? Because if you do it because you really love people, you need that feedback of them responding. What happens when they don't respond? You're going to be bummed out. 
I gave all this time and all this, and they didn't even listen. <laughs> you know, that's what you'll feel like. You'll quit. What if you, well, I do this because, you know, I, I really want to see people get saved. So if my motive is I want to see people saved and that's why I do what I do, that's even a bad motive. You know why? Because what if nobody gets saved? There's no guarantee. Jeremiah's ministry, his whole ministry, no convert. But he did it anyway because he did. He was, he was being obedient. But if my motive is I want to see results, then that's not a good motive, right? That can, that can pan out and be empty somewhere. I minister the word. My most God, I want to see people receive the word. I do. But that can be why I do it. Because what if nobody receives it? What if I preach and everybody hears it and nobody takes it in? And I, I quit. I quit, God. That's the third year. Nobody's listening anyway. I quit. That, that's what would happen. But if my motive is the love of Christ, God, I'll do it for you. I'll do it 10 more years, 20 more years, 30 more years. I'll do it till I, till I die, right? Because the love of Christ constrains me. And so if you're serving, if you're doing something for the Lord, um, that would be a good today. Be a good check, check your, Realign the motives. Make sure that your motives are Got to do this because of it's, it's in response to what you did for me. And it's because you love me. Right. Um, the Bible says that we love him because what? He first loved us. I often remind my when I first met my wife, she wasn't like I knew before she knew that 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 she was going to be my wife. You know, she didn't know yet, but I knew. Um, then, you know, it took her a while. to. I think she she was really like. Like she had me like this, like like she had me on the like you acting saved, but I don't know if you really saved. So I, I don't know. I don't know what kind of test she was putting me through, but but I was at arm's distance for a while. So I, I remind her at times like you didn't choose me. I chose you. I, I loved you before you loved me. You, know, you love me because I first loved you. It's, it's, it's the Bible, you know, but uh, in essence, it's true. You know, I, I, I did start this, you know, so God would say, look, I, you love me, but you love me because I first loved you. I can never boast in my love for God. I can only boast in his love for me. My love for him is weak. Because how many of us would say we love him, but we fail him all, often? My love for God is not enough, right? But it's his love for me is enough. I'm going to heaven because he loves me, not because I love him. Amen? And so Paul says, look, the love of Christ compels me. Um, that's his second. This is his second thing in this little section that motivates his service. And why he would endure such hardship, why he would go through difficulty. Because the Lord loves him and he's aware of it. And that's why it's so important that we be aware of the gospel, aware of God's love for us, aware of what he's done for us, um, that we be impacted, that we be helped. So he says, again, verse 14, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. Now, you know, some people look at this and, and they, there's a, a thing called universalism where they say, look, God died for all. So everybody's going to be saved. Do we know that's not true? It's not true, right? Did God die for all? Yes. Did he die to provide an opportunity for all to be saved? Yes. Will all be saved? Unfortunately not. Because there's something that, that God's got. I made, the, I, made it, I made it available to all, but everybody doesn't. God gives you free will. You don't have to receive the Lord. You can be aware of the gospel and say, I'm aware of the gospel. I'm aware of what Jesus did for me. And I choose to do my own thing. I appreciate appreciate what you did over there, Lord, but I'm, I'm going to do me. There are people that eyes wide open have made that decision. God, I'm aware. I understand, but but I'm I, I'm just I'm going to do what I do over here. Um, and God leaves us that 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 freedom. Um, there there is something called free will. Um, God doesn't force you to surrender to Him. God doesn't force you to receive Him. Um, you know, I often leave us like a marriage. 
Anybody here that's any woman that was proposed to? That's that's kind of the, the position Christ take. His, his death on the cross is like the ring and the proposal. I love you this much. Demonstration of my love. I died in your place. I want to be in a relationship with you for all eternity. What say you? And when a woman is proposed to, really, it's really a humbling place for a man because it's, it's, she has all the marbles. She can say yay or nay. You know, she can say, mm, nah, it's <laughs> a small diamond. <laughs> I'll wait till you come back with a better one. Now, she, she just has all the options. Well, in a sense, God leaves us there. You can, you can, take, you can, you can receive them or reject them. You have that ability. And so, um, yes, he died for all. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody is, is, is going to receive it or be born again. Then it says in verse 15, it says, and he died for all that those who live shall no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. And so he gives us the purpose. Why did he die for us? He died to save us. We know that. But here he gives us something else. He says that those who live, right, those who live as believers should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. So let me ask this question. Please don't answer out loud. Would you say today that you're living for yourself or are you living for the Lord? Like, what, what would you say? Um, and I want you to consider what that looks like. If I say I'm living for the Lord, that means that my life, I'm, li- I'm literally living it for him. God, I do the things that you want me to do in my life. I run by you. The thing I'm, I'm, God, I'm considering this, that this seems like a really good idea. What do you say, Lord? I'm living my life for you. I'm asking God about what I'm doing, how I'm using my time, my talent, my resource. My God, I'm, 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 I'm running everything by you because I live for you. Are you living for the Lord? Um, what's it look like to live for yourself? It's easy. We've all done it. Um, and maybe some of us are still doing it. But live for myself means I get up. I think about myself. What does myself want to do? Myself wants to do that. That's what I'm going to do. Myself likes that. I'm going to go do that. My, well, I, it's, I, I consult myself about everything I do. That's what it looks like to live for self. I don't consult the Lord. I might, I might be in clear rebellion against the Lord because myself likes stuff that God don't want. Live for myself. So, and I'm asking everybody to consider who you're living for. Right. Because there are people that would say, I live for the Lord. But if you back up and look at seven days, right, take, take today is Sunday. You take your life from last Sunday to this Sunday. Who'd you live for? What that what that would that week look like? What did you do? Why did you do it? Um, how much of what you did with, with, with God say, yes, that's what I wanted. That's what I told you, you did the stuff I want you to do. How much of what you did? Would you say that was just me doing whatever? Like, who'd you live for? Paul says the reason he died. One of the reasons is that those who live would no longer live for themselves, but they would live for him. And so we want to be ready to be encouraged that we would live for the Lord. Right. Um, If you're writing notes, write down Romans chapter six and it's mainly verse six, but I'm going to read verses one through six. Um, And this is what this is. This is this something that should transpire in the hearts and lives of the believers that we, we, we literally we die with Christ, die to ourselves. And so look at well, write down Romans six. I'm going to read one through six. It says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who die to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, even so, We also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, 
Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man, the old life, was crucified with him, and the bot that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. That's all we have time for today on The Transforming Word. Pastor Bill has been teaching through the book of 2 Corinthians. In this book, Paul details many different ways that he suffered for the sake of Christ. It can be painful to hear about these trials, but it's a reminder that following Jesus comes at a personal cost. What are some ways that you've chosen Jesus above other things? Do you think it's worth it? Paul knew it was well worth the pain and hardship that was brought on because he had a bigger picture in sight of eternity. Do you have the same outlook when you go through difficult trials? We hope you continue to learn more from this book written to the Corinthians. If you're interested in hearing additional teachings from Pastor Bill, you'll find them on our website, CalvaryEnglewood.org. We'd be happy to meet you too. Do you live in the Inglewood area? Then come join us for worship this weekend. You can get service times and location information at CalvaryEnglewood.org. You'll even find links to stream our services if you're unable to be with us in person. And you can catch up on previous messages online. That website again is CalvaryEnglewood.org. As we come to the end of our time with you today, we want you to know that we're grateful to have you as a part of our listening audience. Would you join us in praying for others who are tuning in and possibly hearing about Jesus for the very first time? Please pray that their hearts will be open to the truth that changes lives. Thanks for praying, and thanks for joining us on The Transforming Word.